0: This is a Crows Nest podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Titanic Talk Line. Um, it's Alexia, and before we get into my interview with Dan Parks, I want to talk to you really quickly about the content. Um, like in previous episodes, we talk about trauma and suicide in relation to the officers that did and did not survive the sinking. But unlike previous episodes, there's, it's not really just one, one little part you can skip. It's kind of a whole episode. So if you're just not in the place for that today, I totally understand. There's a lot going on. So come back to it when you can, because it's really, really informative and just a really good episode. And Dan himself is an absolute delight. So maybe not today, but when you're ready, um, give us a listen. And I hope that those of you who are sticking with us, you enjoy the conversation. Oh, uh, well, I am so excited to have you on. And I, I say that a lot, but I, I really am. And I'll get into exactly why later, but, uh, would you please tell everyone who you are and a little bit about your journey to Titanic?
1: Well, I'm yeah Dan Parks. I'm a Titanic enthusiast, researcher, website author, filmmaker, uh, yeah, all of that. And um, I mean, I mean, do you want me to go back to how it all started? I mean, that's that could be a long story. But I mean, I, I, it actually goes back to 1988. I can pinpoint the, the exact moment because it was. I mean, the wreck was discovered in '85, but I somehow kind of my interest was in Halley's comment, which. Flew past in 85. So I kind of saw didn't really register the wreck discovery. and um, But then a little bit later, they started showing films on, on TV because of the wreck being discovered. And I happened to watch SOS Titanic, which is possibly the worst Titanic film ever made. Um, <laughs> and at the time, I thought so. I was nine years old, you know, a nine-year-old watching this film. I, I, was, I just kept saying to my father, when does it sink? Uh, that's all that's all i knew and um and and of course it was quite disappointing and then a few months later i was living in australia at the time uh surface paradise gold coast i found a book where you can build a cardboard model of the titanic and it's like a meter and a half long and i thought oh that's that's great so i bought the book and i started building it and the the book was constructed so as you built it you learned about different parts of the ship oh that's cool so, you know, if you're constructing the bridge area, you're learning about all the offices, for example. So I actually started learning the history as I built the model. And by the time I'd finished, you know, I, I knew the history. And, I, and to cut a long story short, I, I was only, what, you know, 12 years old by that stage. And I started touring schools, giving Titanic presentations, Rotary Club, all that kind of thing. And I became known as Mr. Titanic locally. <laughs> um, was, yeah. So that's, that's probably the short version.
0: That's incredible and my my pers- I reached out to you because my one of my well who so, I just hit my desk but sort of the crux of my Titanic story was I saw I saw the Cameron film in in theaters when I was young and you know the scene comes along where Murdoch commits suicide and I had never been confronted with that concept before as a child and and I, I wanted to pause the theater and ask a million questions about why that had happened. And then later on, learning that Cameron had issued an apology, rectifi- not, not rectifying, but acknowledging the damage that he had done to his legacy, it, to me, taught a very important lesson, which is that fiction has very, very deep roots and can be very impactful of people's perception of history, even.
1: But then the question is, was it fiction? Because Cameron actually based it on eyewitness accounts. This is something Mm -hmm. that that, that, the tabloid headlines were that, you know, Murdoch's family had been wronged and Cameron had to apologize. Actually, neither of those two things really happened. Um, Mm -hmm. The the family really, you know, I mean, um, First Officer Murdoch doesn't actually have any direct descendants. They didn't have children. It was uh, right. Ada, his wife, w- w- said it was one of their greatest regrets because they never had children. So there's, there's actually no descendants per se. You just have like uncles and great uncles. And it's one of these uncles that lived in um, or, or near Del Beatty, Scotland, which is, the, which is Murdoch's home. Um, was asked about the film, and I don't think he's even watched it and was unhappy about oh. it. So, you know, I think he said he may have read the script or something, but he, I don't think he had even watched it. But there was a local resident um, by the name of Richard Atkins who, who got up up in arms, set up a website. And so the, the media covered it as, as the family being terribly upset. Well, actually, I don't know who that really was. I don't think there was anyone. I mean, it's interesting that you say it sparked your interest. I mean, it did with me as well because uh, in my day job, I'm a filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, and soundtrack collector. So watching James Cameron's film was like this convergence of all these interests, you know, Titanic, right. filmmaking, James Horner's brilliant score. Um, I mean, I was just in, in heaven. You know, I, I mean, I, I literally could not speak for like an hour after watching the film. I was just like dumbfounded because oh. I it just it just took me into some other place. But like you... I was shocked by the suicide scene. I, I had a general idea about the officers because I've always been interested in, in the con, sort of command center, the bridge area, um, but I didn't know much about Murdoch. And so that's why I, I began researching his life and I've set up the website williammurdoch.net which is based on a monograph that I wrote and I sent it to James Cameron, actually. Um, oh. He didn't reply personally, but I did get one of those like <laughs> little signed pictures that they send fans. Sure. Um, but the but the, you know the the, the for, for those listening and, and who've probably heard about the controversy about the the suicide scene actually he didn't just make that up it was based on eyewitness accounts and he wasn't his intent was not to portray him as a coward or anything of that nature in fact he wanted to portray him as as a hero that was in a in a dilemma and right. and this kind of sort of conflict of interest that took place um obviously a suicide and and, and a shooting as as portrayed are very negative Mm -hmm. things but I think that the media twisted it into far more sort of a negative slant and my research concludes that we're pretty sure that actually an officer did shoot passengers and committed suicide the -hmm. question actually isn't that, it's who and we can narrow it down to either Murdoch or or, um, Chief Officer Wild as the most probable. Um, and you'll find that there are lots of people with different views on that. Um, so my, my opinion is that yes, an officer did shoot passengers and commit suicide. We just don't know who.
0: Mm-hmm. I think maybe what affects people so much, at least this is, I spend a lot of time on Reddit, but I, I see that I think for most people, it's because the the person who's killed in question, isn't just a bystander in the crowd. It's one of the minor characters. So it 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 feels more impactful, I believe, to an audience and it feels a little bit more intentional in a way because I saw the movie recently and a man jumps from a higher portion, I, I don't remember exactly where, I think maybe the top of the officer's quarters, into the crowd, which causes a rush forward. Mm. And the person that's shot is um, Tommy's Irish, uh, Tommy, the uh, Irish friend of the third class group. Mm. <clears throat> so it may, it may have been that it was that character instead of just some person in the crowd. I, I don't know. That That's speculation.
1: You know, I think you're right. The, the other thing is he also portrays a, a, a kind of bribery scenario where um, Culloden Hockley kind of slips money into his pocket. He doesn't kind of mm-hmm. openly take it, but he, it's kind of imputed. Um, and then he throws the money back at him. But... Obviously, there's absolutely zero evidence of any bribery. I mean, Murdoch was an incredibly honourable and, and and quite heroic officer, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, so I think he did go a step too far there. But I don't. I personally, as a filmmaker, think that you you have to make creative decisions. Um, I mean, the the whole sort of fictional Jack and Rose story is a is a storytelling device. It's Romeo and Juliet on Titanic, so they can explore the different class structures and the ship right. and history and what have you. And so similarly the you know the portrayal of an officer's suicide he ha- he obviously had to choose which officer, and he made a choice and and he made it Murdoch because he wanted to show the, the kind of dilemma you know there's earlier on when um when they, when Thomas Andrews says they've only got an hour and a half um I, I think Captain Smith turns to Murdoch and says, "How many aboard to kind of sort of like drive home you know what what's just happened and and the kind of right. guilt that he's feeling. And I'm sure, I mean, he, he was an incredibly capable sailor. He must yeah. have gone through tremendous trauma. Um, you know, his shift started at 10 o'clock. By 2 mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning, you know, he, he and only had a few minutes left and he died. It's a horrendous shift to have, isn't it? So yes. I, I think he did go through an incredible character arc. And so absolutely, I think Cameron made a very interesting choice there. Uh, you know, it, there is—it's a grey zone when you take historical characters and then dramatise it, you know. But I mean, we see it now. There's like the elves film at the moment. Dramatising real life characters is is fraught with issues. Um right. But I do think that the Murdoch suicide has been overblown by the media. It was—they—they are they cashing in on on the popularity of the film. So I, that's that's my opinion anyway.
0: That makes sense. And I, I agree with you about the bribe because there there was also no need because Murdoch was the one who was letting uh, men on after the women and children had been boarded. And especially towards the earlier time when there just wasn't anybody on there, that wouldn't have been necessary, that there was no need for a bribe. He, he wasn't denying explicitly denying entry to people on the boats.
1: Yeah, but I think Cameron, I mean, James Cameron... Uh, the more you delve into the film, you can see he, he, he really did his homework. And one of the nice. interesting things about the starboard evacuation, and, and Murdoch was in, in charge of pretty much all the starboard lifeboats that were evacuated, um, is that there were quite a few men, compared to Lytle on the port side, who bait, he wouldn't even let a 14-year-old boy get on a lifeboat. So it was quite a difference. And I, I'm not at all of the opinion that there was any bribery in this case, but... I can see that Cameron was kind of exploring, well, hang on, why were there so many men? Maybe there was some money involved. I mean, they were wealthy men. Um, Mm -hmm. There isn't any evidence of any bribery that that I'm aware of, but I can kind of see as a storytelling device it was an interesting thing to do. But I do think that was a step too far. I don't think the shooting suicide was, but that was.
0: Maybe it's in conjecture. If it had been one or the other, perhaps it might have been overlooked and... Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, for me, it was impactful just because it made me realize that, you know, I had just taken it as a fact and not even thought twice about whether or not it was or wasn't, because I was, I think I was eight when I saw the movie. But it was interesting to consider that, how much creative license goes in when you're making something about a historical event of which there is so much past interest in documentation,
1: yeah, I, and and you have to be careful as well to to make assumptions. And um, there, there are a lot of people who look at a shooting suicide and assume that's a very negative thing. Um, I, I mean, interestingly, when the film came out not long after, I actually had a, a, a friend of mine commit suicide, and so it became quite a personal thing for me. The way that suicides are portrayed are they are they an evil act, or is is it a cry for help? Is it where someone you know, loses hope. There's all these other ways of looking at suicide, and, you know, and obviously I'm not wanting to push suicide. In fact, my website has some links to help and what have you. Um, yeah. But our perception of, of is it, do we think that suicide is a cowardly act or is it a mental health issue or is it, you know, a, huge amounts of stress? I mean, Murdoch must have been under incredible stress during those yeah. those few hours of the evacuation um and, and the thing is I, I think people tend to forget is that the officers were armed, I mean fifth officer Lowe had his own personal revolver, um while the while the senior officers were all issued, um, revol- um you know standard white star line uh, revolvers so they were armed and there were thousands of people who were on the ship who and there weren't enough lifeboats for you it's a it's a crowd control nightmare to think yeah. that there wasn't some kind of gunplay. On, on, you know, that night is, is quite naive, really. So I think, you know, you need to sort of take all those factors into consideration and realize, well, yeah, something did happen. And if you look at the broad spectrum of eyewitness accounts, right across class structures, right across nationalities, and age groups, um, you know, something did happen.
0: I mean, you're probably right. As as you said, it it's a, such a stressful event. And if you're you know, if you pause for even a second while you're working, just look around and see, you know, what I'm sure is a a sea of desperate faces. And you know that the resources are either gone or depleted. I can't imagine that that inspires a lot of hope in anybody.
1: But the problem is that, you know, I've, I've, I'm not going to say that I'm brave or anything like that, but I've been, uh, you know, sticking my neck out and saying, hey, actually, I think something happened. And And I've actually had death threats. I've received emails from Scotland saying watch your back was one that's of, appalling um, bec- I'm sorry. B- because of that um, I mean I, you know, I, I love I love Scotland I love Scottish people um, but you anyway, know that, that yeah. I mean I, at the time I was living in Japan so the death threats <laughs> didn't <laughs> weren't, weren't to too, um didn't cause much concern but fair but but the <laughs> kind of the idea that there was actually people out there who were so sort of passionate about this that they felt that I was mm-hmm. you know Besmirching his name, his reputation, and what have you. Um, I mean, I, I can get the passion, but we, we need to also realize that history isn't, you know, like if we look at it through rose-colored glasses, it does look all fine. But actually, the reality of history is that it can be quite grim. And and we know that that nearly fifteen hundred people died on on the in the Titanic disaster, and the all manner of different kinds of deaths that took place. It, it is a very grim subject. Um, to to not realize that there could have been a suicide is some um, It's a bit naive, I think.
0: It does seem a bit silly, now that I think about it. And I was, I'm reading um, Stephen Beale's book, um, Down with the Old Canoe, which is about the cultural history. And it, it talks about how, especially surrounding the first class men, there was this narrative afterwards about, you know, grace and dignity, gentility. What is it that Gene Wilder says in Young Frankenstein? Quiet dignity and grace. That's what I said. And you know when you constantly hear that narrative and it gets stuck in your head that everyone just went down quietly singing you know gospel hymns together then the concept of a suicide does seem rather unfathomable because it it, it's in contrast with the narrative but as you pointed out you know it, it probably was an absolute madhouse of desperation so that sort of highly charged emotional moment it seems much more plausible in context
1: and I think, yeah, it's, that context is important. I mean, if you, if you look at it, um, a lot of the men who chose to go down the ship, and, and some mm-hmm. in cases that they're wise as well, it, it yeah. was a form of suicide. I mean, that they, were, they were opting for death when they had a choice for, for life. But it was a very kind of a, a, a different era. I mean, this is pre-World War I. Uh, mm-hmm. Edwardian society had still that kind of layer of dignity that, that seemed to be lost right. with, with war. <laughs> Um, and it's kind of interesting, I was researching local history, here. I, I, I live near um, New Haven Port in, in England, and mm-hmm. at, at a, I think not only, maybe a year or so before the Titanic disaster, 1910, I, some, somewhere around that, there, there was actually a captain of a ship that collided with another ship near New Haven Port, and um, he was in the wrong, and he was um, found to be in the wrong, and he committed suicide. Uh, From memory, I think it was a gunshot. So we're looking at a time period where sort of when your reputation is on the line, that this this was kind of considered as an option. I mean, it's unthinkable now, but back then it wasn't unusual, which you can also twist the other way and say, well, because of that, maybe some of these eyewitness accounts were believing it happened when it didn't, you know, that they were sort of projecting Sure. Uh, their ideals. But, you know, I I, I look at it that actually the, 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 it, it wasn't an unusual occurrence.
0: Right. You know, obviously Murdoch didn't survive the sinking, but, you know, the fate of Frederick Fleet, you know, the, the lookout who did survive, he ultimately ended up um, taking his own life. I don't, I don't remember how old he was at the time, but he, he died quite young.
1: Mm. Actually, there were, there were quite a few um, suicides post-Titanic yeah. disaster. I mean, the, you know, we 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 now understand a lot better post-traumatic stress. Right. Um, you know, the the lightoller second officer lightoller um, said that he mm-hmm. couldn't have a bath because the the water reminded of him of of the Titanic disaster. There there, there were lots of. Stories of people who who had a sort of, sort of a trauma that they took with their life for the rest, for the rest of their life, you know and and that's yeah. understandable, isn't it? you know, in the Absolutely. case of Murdoch, perhaps it was encapsulated in those few minutes that he had, you know um, so yeah but it's it's a grim subject and I, I don't want to be the one that's <laughs> always talking about it and, and my my interest actually is more broad than just murdoch I've actually researched the, all of the officers, um, but Murdoch seems to be the most popular. Without a doubt.
0: I think, am I, I am, I'm sure that's in large part due to the Cameron film. I'm sorry. my One of our dogs thinks there's going to be a storm. There is not. But she's looking for refuge in the room. Um, I don't know that much about the officers, really, outside of, you know, I, I, I'm an enthusiast that does not retain knowledge very well. I love to learn, but uh, the specifics don't exactly sit with me. So what it is. What are some of your interests um, with the officers or some of the most interesting officers that you don't get to talk about or some of the facts that pe- people just don't aren't as interested in? Not that Murdoch isn't interesting. I, I obviously find him fascinating.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I've got this website, titanicofficers.com, and it's been fascinating because in, in that website, I've been going in-depth on each officer. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd studied Murdoch in, in quite a lot of detail for about a decade, and right. I feel that actually by studying the other officers, I've actually come back to understand him even more. Because when you look at the lives of the other officers, you realize that they're, off, they're quite similar trajectories in many ways. You know, they they had mm-hmm. four-year apprenticeships. Um, they often started off in sale before going into STEAM. You know, there's all these kind of similarities. And when you look at their their life story and then you look back at Murdoch, you can kind of realize actually they had very similar stories to tell. Murdoch's was cut mm-hmm. short, but others obviously got a chance to to go further. But when it comes to interesting stories, I mean, at the moment I'm researching um, Arthur Ostrom, who is the captain of, of um, the Carpathia, the rescue ship.
0: Oh, I'm so interested and, in him. And he he's, was
1: an yeah, incredible hero. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, 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 again, well, I am played devil's advocate on that. He also took. Some sure. dramatic res- risks, um, and and he, yes. uh, you know there, there is actually um, a case to be made that he he took a a risk too far. I mean, people say that Captain Smith took a risk by you know not slowing down when icebergs were warned about, but actually right. um, rostron knew about icebergs and, and sailed straight into them yes. at full speed. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, so. if he
0: hadn't made it, I think it would have been a, uh, Everyone would have been. He was obviously a fool. What what a what a what loon drives direct drives sails directly into ice. But it, we only talk about him. You're right. We only talk about him in that, in that way because his loon balloon plan happened to work.
1: Well, that's right. It's retrospective, isn't it? I mean, Smith gets a yeah. lot of flag You're Right. Um, for being a bad captain. When when my research actually, I, I I've become far more. Open-minded about Smith. I mean, it, it actually post Titanic sinking, there were fourteen captains who testified under oath to say that they would have done exactly the same as Captain Smith. Um,
0: Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, um,
1: th- th- there were three inquiries after um, the sinking, and neither two. Uh, the, in the British inquiry, quite a few captains were called f- called forth um, from similar backgrounds as Smith, like they'd spent decades on the North Atlantic route. So they knew about ice. Um, on similar ships, um, we had Captain Pritchard of the Mauritania, who, who actually, that the Mauritania can actually sail at least three or four knots faster than Titanic ever could. So we're, we're looking at similar captains, similar ability, experience, and what have you. And they all said, well, we would have done the same. And it wasn't just a kind of a camaraderie thing. It's, it's, it's that Smith was following standard procedure and protocol. That, right. that actually even continued after the sinking. Most people don't realize that. Um, that Smith wasn't doing anything particularly dangerous. Well, Rostrum actually was. He, he he did take a huge risk, but because he succeeded in saving 712 lives, obviously he comes out the hero, while right. Smith becomes the villain. And yeah. it's just the, you know, that, that toss of the coin.
0: You're absolutely right. Rostrum just becomes a bit of a maverick, whereas Smith is in a dangerous disaster in... In in the reflection,
1: and, and the thing that, interesting about Rostrom that I've been getting uh, in, in researching his biography just recently is that he um, he's not you know the Titanic obviously is his big story, mm-hmm. but he's got a lot of other stories and one one kind of key part of his history is the um, is World War One and he was very much involved in the Gallipoli um, part of of the war. And he, he was what they call trooping, which was bringing troops to the, to the Gallipoli shores. And he has some okay. very interesting takes on that that, that um, I'm going to be bringing out in, in my biography shortly, where mm-hmm. he, he, th- he thinks he knows why the, the Gallipoli mission was failed and why, why so many men died. Um, it, it, yeah, he's got an interesting story to tell, actually. Yeah. Care
0: to share a preview of one of those or do we have to read the book?
1: yeah I'm sorry yeah well watch the space <laughs> stay okay. tuned
0: well I was just trying to see if I could get a cliff notes for the listeners that's okay I'm happy to read the book when it's out
1: well it'll be on the website um, ho- hopefully oh, hopefully in the next few months um, along with uh, he, he also saw a sea monster it's another part of his interesting story Ooh.
0: was it a sea monster like the Loch Ness Monster where it turns out to be what we now know is often a grey whale's penis <laughs>
1: I well, I I I don't know about that, but I do know that when he saw this monster, um, he he got verification. That he wasn't just the only one that saw it. In fact, there were even newspaper reports, con- quite contemporary ones, that also registered the, the sighting of of a of a sea monster per se. I don't know if it really was a monster, but um, yeah, he, he's even got like pictures he's drawn and and, and what? Yeah, he's, his his history is quite interesting. So watch the space.
0: I one other captain that I recently learned a little bit about was the captain of the Californian, Stanley Lord. Was that his name or did I completely mess it up?
1: Yeah, no. You've got it right.
0: Oh wow, cool. There, there's so many names. But um I watched um I think it was History's Greatest Mysteries special on the Titanic and it did focus a little bit on him and sort of exonerated him and the California by, you know, using modern technology and, you know, the way that we now have to be able to look back on these things and make our judgments to show that it's really unlikely the Californian actually was able to clearly see Titanic and it's unlikely that they really would have been able to go get it. And he actually was posthumously exonerated, but I guess that's not really discussed very much. Well, it, I mean, well, no, it,
1: it is discussed a lot. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you belong to communities like Encyclopedia Titanic, it, it's, you know, it's discussed ad nauseum. The um the, that one I'm not in. <laughs> the, 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 it is a hu- it's, it's actually probably the number one debate amongst Titanic enthusiasts would be the Californian whether it it saw the Titanic I can or believe not. Believe that. I mean, for me, I mean, I've got a biography coming out on on Stanley Lord, um, right. including some audio recordings that he made, which is quite interesting. But wow. um, I mean, if for my take on it, just just briefly, I guess is that um yes, please. Actually, if he had responded to the titanic's distress calls and 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 signals he wouldn't have made it in time anyway and that's what the research says is that even if he had gone full steam to where the titanic was sinking he would there was little he, he could have done yeah. so it's kind of in a way a moot point um i think i think the point is that he didn't respond so whatever ship even if it wasn't the titanic there was obviously a ship firing rockets which were you know Okay, they could be company signals, which is the argument that you'll read, but right, they yeah. were primarily used for distress, and uh, you know he, he, they they did not respond. I mean, you know that that that's actually not in in uh, dispute. That obviously, you know, he he, he, he slept through it. So yeah. there there is a case to be made. Well, if there was another ship, they didn't respond to that. Uh, I my 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 hunch is that they saw the Titanic personally, if I'm gonna make a call on it. And I, I I you know I put my head on the <laughs> on the on the on the platter by doing so, I think. But Nobody
0: send Dan a single threat.
1: <laughs> well that's quite possible. No one. But I mean I I, I haven't finished my biography of, of, of Stanley Law, so I'm very open minded on the subject. I'm I'm happy to to look at uh, the other side of it. But my that is my hunch because you know, basically, the Titanic saw a ship, and the Californian saw a ship firing distress rockets. If, if there was another ship firing distress rockets, there was another, there was another ship sinking at the same time. You know, so it's not great either. So I, I, you know, I I know it's a far more complex. If you go into any of the forums, and and you'll see thousands of pages devoted to this discussion. It's it's a, it's a subject of of great debate. Um are sure. like books written. Um, that go into great detail, but you know I think the 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 simple uh, you know conclusion to the matter is they just didn't respond,
0: yeah, and that's a valid point is that whether or not you could have gotten there, whether you were six hours or six minutes away, if you saw someone in distress and effectively turned your back that 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 says a lot about you,
1: but then again, you know this is where also going back to captain smith is that retrospectively Mm -hmm. we can be quite judgmental because we're not really seeing it through the eyes that they were at the time they did not know i mean obviously if if captain lord and and his officers had realized what was happening would they have done it? well of course they would not have i i I don't have any doubt on that point at all but because of the way things happen the, the, these kind of I mean it's what it's what makes Titanic uh, you know it's such a fascinating story is that all these sort of you know it's full of irony and and sort of amazing coincidences you know the weather conditions and the the, the angle that the ship hit the ice but all these kinds of things right the Californians also got that you know we, we got we got a you know a, a wireless operator who, who who turns his his unit off because that was what happened back then you know it was just normal um, we you know do, can we do we blame people for doing what was just normal you know everyday i always say like it's it's a good example is um you know for many years cars didn't have seat belts do we blame yes. you know the, all, all those who who were injured or even died in car accidents do we blame them for for not having seat belts you know was were, were they deliberately <laughs> causing injury by doing so so it sometimes it, it does take unfortunately a disaster of this magnitude to for things to change but then do we in retrospect need to blame these people for that um is it negligence you know that's that's a, that's another subject of great debate
0: i think that's a really good question though because again we all we have this privilege of looking back from the year you know now 2022 where we have forensics and deep sea scanners and special cameras and the ability to do these incredible forensic testing and, you know, people are figuring out the exact precise angle of breaks, things that you just didn't have the liberty of having back then and then you take that fresh knowledge and look back and go, well, I think and it's so easy to judge from where you are now without remembering that everything from the technology to the standards to the way people spoke were completely different than things are now.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I completely agree.
0: What is since you you do a lot of officer research? Who is the most under not underrated, but sort of underappreciated officer of the Titanic?
1: I'd say without a doubt, it's the Third Officer Pittman, Herbert Pittman. Um, and and there is kind of a, a, a good reason for that, and that is that he he, okay. he departed the uh, Titanic quite early on during during the um, evacuation, so his story is quite limited. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he, he wasn't directly involved in the, in the collision sequence. Um, and unlike Lytola and, 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 and Boxall and, and the others that survive and Lowe, especially for Thophisolo, um, right. the, you know, his, his involvement was quite limited. He, you know, he was in, in lifeboat number five it, 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 it you know it rowed out to a certain distance um he wanted to row back once the ship had sunk but the passengers weren't happy about it and and he mm-hmm. he just went along with that but he's actually a very interesting story i mean i in my research for the for the um for the website uh, you'll you'll notice some pictures there where you can actually see him like breaking down during the 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 us inquiry when he was asked he was quite he was kind of pushed by Uh, senator smith to kind of describe the sounds of people dying basically and and you can actually see this photograph where he looks like in pain uh it's quite a moving thing actually where he's because because i can see from my from my research he wanted to go back but he also had passengers that were in his care who said that they did not want to go back so he's caught in a in a kind of a catch-22 situation you can't Um, win and and you can kind of see the trauma that he's going through when he when he's asked about that, and um, and the, also the sad part of his life is that shortly thereafter, um, they brought in quite rigid um eye tests, and he failed his eye next eye test, so he actually had to step down as an officer, and he went into the purses department. Um, it's quite interesting, I think, actually, an officer going into the purses department because um, yeah. it's obviously quite. I mean, you, you, he's taken all these board of trade. Qualifications for navigation and and uh, and what have you, and suddenly he's going to the purses department, so he's dealing with like first class passenger, you know, right. first world problems. <laughs> oh, um, but he he apparently he did very well, and he 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 um oh, he he his life story as a purser is quite quite an interesting one in its own right. He actually wrote a uh, personal sort of um, account of the sinking that's never been publicly oh. released, and I've been trying oh. to. I, I know who's got it, and I know a little bit about it, but I can't get it publicly released. That's one of my wishes. Is that I think if we could get that released, perhaps we'll know a little bit more about him and 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 his story. I do think he has a story to tell, and yeah.
0: I'm sure that he does.
1: But yeah, Pittman's very much the um the underrated officer.
0: Um, it sounds interesting. I mean, they're they're all interesting, especially when you consider like I I don't think there's. I don't think that today there is, in the same way, a profession quite like being a professional mariner, of the time.
1: Well, well, it's interesting you say that because I had a conversation recently about you know who who are the modern day officers basically, and they and I think they are the airline pilots because the 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 Titanic wasn't was an immigration ship; it wasn't a cruise ship. People often get this mixed up because cruise ships just cruise like yes. Titanic was was an immigration ship it was also a royal Mail steamer so it was it had cargo um, it was it was about the fastest way of getting from A to B so it yes. was a mass movement of people and goods and you know it wasn't a cruise ship they did try to make it as luxurious and as nice as possible but it wasn't about cruising and obviously when the, you know aircraft t- technology took off thanks mostly to World War one, um and jet aircraft were developed that suddenly took over so the fastest way and easiest way of getting people and cargo to other countries became the jet aircraft and you'll see you know captains pilots with the stripes on their shoulders that which show their rank just like the officers on, on board titanic so i think that then they are now the the, the sort of the modern day ship officers because um, the 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 ship officers that you meet now are most likely going to be cruise ship officers, and it's just, it's quite different. Yes. They're not going to, you know, ti- all the Titanic officers uh, were R and R, you know, Royal Naval Reserve officers. They had military training, um, yeah. so they they were, had training in torpedoes and using guns and all that all all that kind of thing. So which is you're very unlikely I think to get a ship's officer studying now but you know well, you never know
0: I'd, it would be fascinating to come with a checklist of everything that a titanic officer used to have to do and just corner your nearest cruise officer and be like excuse me do you know how to do these things but what what did i th- that was fascinating to me what what did it take to be an officer of of the 1910s what all did you have to to know before
1: well, it, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't something you could just become. It it it, right. it, it was quite a few years of, of training. It, it started off with an apprenticeship of four years, mm-hmm. and in the case of pretty much all of the Titanic's officers, that was on, on a sailing ship. Uh, mm-hmm. For many of them, it was, the, it was a ship called the, the Conroy and um, sorry Conway, and it, the, the, after that four years, you then could then start getting a paid job and you then needed a qualification. And so there was Board of Trade qualifications, and the first one was known as the second mate, and then you had first mate, and then you had masters, and then you had uh, extra masters. And the interesting thing, actually, looking at the Titanic officers, is that pretty much all of them failed in one of those (sighs) exams, except one officer who never failed any exam. Can you guess who?
0: I'm going to try... I'm going
1: to say that it was toller. No, no. It, it was First Officer Murdoch. He never failed an exam. Um, that's why he, he's an incredibly capable officer. And why he, it, it, yeah. it, it seems so unfair that he had the watch when the iceberg collision took took place. I I always feel for him because he's he is almost overqualified. In fact, he even even skipped his master's qualification, went straight to extra masters. Um, wow because yeah. obviously he had the ability and he never, you know, uh, Captain Smith failed. He, he failed at, at least once in navigation on um, one of his <laughs> qualifications. So uh, that wasn't unusual. A lot of the other officers also failed failed in navigation. Uh, but but Murdoch never did. Um, but yeah, once they had these Board of Trade uh, qualifications, uh, in, in particular their masters, then they were in, in line to get employment by the White Star Line because they were looking for... Uh, officers with that qualification, uh, as well as also R&R officers. So if you had Royal Navy Reserve and you had a master's certificate, then you were in line to then get a nice prestigious job of a White Star Line officer.
0: Did Did they try to keep crews together or maybe like captains and first officers in that sort of professional bond way, or was it much more sort of free not freestyle but sort of like here's who's available to do this line
1: y- yeah yes and no um i mean you you do see some like for example Lightoller and murdoch were quite good friends because mm-hmm. they were on several ships together at the same time and i guess in the same line like the white star line obviously the chances are you're going to be working together at some point maybe a couple of times but one sure. thing that does happen is you you do see this kind of core group that forms with captain smith where um, he, 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 he obviously sort of forms a, a, like a, a comfortable working relationship with certain officers. Chief Officer Wilde, First Officer Murdoch. Um, Lytle, not, not, not so much. Lytle was one of the new boys for the Titanic. Same, same with um, Lowe. Lowe. Lowe wasn't uh, particularly well, well known to, to Smith. But um, Smith, Wilde and Murdoch uh, in particular had, had worked together several times on, on the Olympic Titanic's older sister ship um, right. and also the Oceanic which was the, the ship before that and um, so you do see that this kind of working relationship it actually caused an interesting situation because only a few days before the Titanic sailed um, First Officer Murdoch was actually Chief Officer uh, and he'd waited yeah. all his you know he'd, he'd waited quite a few years to, to get this rank of Chief Officer and he was right. m- he was more than qualified for it and then suddenly, yes. at the last moment, Chief Officer Henry Wilde was then made Chief Officer, and it bumped down Murdoch, Lightoller, and actually another officer, David Blair, got bumped off completely. It didn't it didn't even sail. So it's quite quite I'm interesting. Sure, they were all
0: I'm sure they were all absolutely thrilled with that, and completely fine, and very very excited to be demoted.
1: Well, maybe Blair because he kind of missed out, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's but yeah, Murdoch, Murdoch, and uh, and, and Lightoller w- weren't happy, and it, it it does kind of create some what ifs because if that hadn't happened, yeah. it would have been Lightoller that was on watch when the iceberg collision took place. So you kind of wonder sure. what yeah. he would have done because he he would have been first officer. Um, yeah. But it is interesting because a lot of people say, well, why did Wild get uh, you know brought brought in at the last moment? What was it because Smith liked Wild better? But in actual fact, it's more logistics. You know, there's only mm-hmm. a certain number of ships sailing. And at the time, right. there was just an, it was just at the end of a coal strike. So, yeah. there, so there were some sort of issues with numbers and, and, and what have you. So it's sometimes just pure logistics. A lot of people also say, well, why didn't you know, any of the, the surviving officers become captains? And you know, people say, "Oh, is it because you know that it was the Titanic curse?" And I'm like, "Well, no, it's just logistics, really. When you look at it, mm-hmm. you've got this large pool of officers; only a certain number can be captains. You know, it's right. it's not possible that everyone can have a chance of being captain. So, <laughs> it's just it's just logic. I mean, in actual fact, um, Boxall got to, he wasn't captain, um, so called, but he did become quite high ranking. And Lightall I think, would have been captain if he hadn't um, yeah, quit the the White Star line so early. Right. Um, so I I don't I don't see any evidence of a curse, but it's just that simple logistics of you know who, how many you can actually get to be captain.
0: Right. I think that you know yeah people could speculate about liking someone you know more or oh he preferred Wild to. These guys or whatever but you're right a large part of it was probably just there's x amount of ships and y amount of crew this is what needs to happen this is just logistics
1: and in the case of wild i mean what something i found out which wasn't wasn't widely widely known was that um he actually knew that he was joining titanic like end of march a lot of people think it just was a last minute because because there's actual you know um Bumping of the officers took took place on the on the ninth, like the day before, the Titanic sailed. But in actual fact, right. he, Wilde knew about it in March. He wrote a letter. Ah. Um, so it was kind of he he was basically uh, in line to be captain of his own mm. ship, um, and because of the coal strike situation. Um, that just didn't happen, so I, I can kind of sure. see the kind of the, the HQ in, in Liverpool at the time saying, "Well, look, okay, why don't we get Wild? Because he, he's very experienced with the Olympic. Let's get mm-hmm. him on board the Titanic just to ensure that everything runs smoothly." It wasn't like a vote of no confidence in Murdoch; mm-hmm. it was just it was just pure logistics, and, and Murdoch had to kind of take that. And it's another thing that kind of adds to the psychology that I, I, I feel that Murdoch could have felt quite hard done by, like you know, it wasn't his fault you know, it was just the the way that, you know, the cars were shuffled and the way things turned out, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I could see feeling a little bitter about that, especially when, you know, in the middle of everything, where it's like, I was supposed to not even be in this position, and then it was here, it happened during my watch, and everything's happening, and there's not enough boats, and everything's overwhelming. And the way that you describe the trauma of the surviving officers, you know, the trauma was formed during the sinking, and, you know, maybe could have been any one of them that just reached an absolute end and just was done with everything that was happening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, know. I, I, I kind of sense, I mean, in his letters he does express disappointment, um, but mm-hmm. I can kind of sense, you know, the sort of the sense of injustice that he must have felt like, you know, that he he was the most capable officer, I, I personally believe, aboard Titanic, more capable than Smith. I mean, it's interesting that um, – that Murdoch came from a, whole, a family of of seafarers. That the, the, the sea did. was in his blood. But if you yes, look at Captain very. Smith, he actually came from a landlocked town, um, and he he was the the the, the son of of a of a, um, a greengrocer and potter. You know, absolutely no connection oh. to to the sea at all. It just happened. That his his mother remarried, and his his um, step um, brother was a captain. Oh. And so he got kind of fast tracked into into into, you know, it, 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 you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, kind of thing. And he got you know, yeah, fast tracked into into the seafaring world, but it wasn't in his blood. Like I certainly think that Murdoch did. I mean, Mur- Murdoch's family, yeah. his father was a captain, his great grandfather was a captain. The, the, the whole the whole family just seafarers, um, and and so many of them died. You know, back back then, it wasn't unusual to have a lot of family lost at sea. Um, sure. And especially
0: if you're a seafaring family.
1: So I kind of sense that, you know, injustice. That why is it that the most capable officer, does you know, really got got dealt a bad hand.
0: Yeah, it 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 is disappointing. And you know, it's disappointing when you think maybe if he'd survived, he could have gone on to have a different career. If you know, Titanic hadn't sunk, they could have all had exceptionally bright careers. Especially after having that in their in their. Um, Resumes? Did they use resumes? I'm
1: not sure they would use that term back then, but they no, they, they did wondering. have. Um, I've, I've got copies of White Star records for each one that mm-hmm. they they kept a record. Not it's not particularly accurate. I, I found, but um, it does <laughs> sounds list, like my records. <laughs> it does list the, each ship that they sailed on, and um, I, I personally find that quite interesting to sort of track yeah. all the ships that they worked aboard. Um, you can kind of see the trajectory of. Smaller vessels, larger vessels, you know, vessels carrying cargo, then moving on to passengers. You know, you sort of see that progress that they make as they go through life, and it, it, it's quite fascinating.
0: I'm sure that Smith probably has the most um, ships behind his name, but outside of um, him, would it would it be have been Murdoch of the crew who had the most extensive uh, ship list? I, I I need I need to find out what the term is.
1: <laughs> Um yeah I'm not I'm not quite sure I mean yeah I guess just just in terms of his age um Smith would would, would his career was longer um and I guess that then the, the next two officers who were, were about 40 were, were Murdoch and Lightoller so they they would have probably something similar actually and Wild was also same same age so I think um yeah it, there was not really anyone I mean S- Smith is an interesting one because some people believe that he had like a, a career of mishaps a lot of things going wrong, but when you actually look yeah. into it, um, he was quite a capable captain. I, I, you know, I, I going back to what I said about not having the scene his blood. I, I certainly believe that's mm-hmm. true, but he, he did become quite a capable captain. Uh, he was known for doing some quite tricky navigational moves. Um, but he's kind of sort of had a bit of an unfair, um, uh, you know, uh, Image, I guess, because not only of the Titanic um, disaster, most notably, but also just before that, there was the Olympic <laughs> collision yeah. uh, with with uh, a, a naval vessel that, that he was ultimately blamed for. But it's interesting that in the case of both of the um, of of the of the Olympic collision and then Titanic's near collision with the SS New York on its departure, it was actually not him in command; it was the um, Trinity House pilot a compulsory pilot that would guide ships out of port because they knew the ports really well. So when you came into port or out of port, you had what was known as a compulsory pilot who would come on board and would okay. then take command of the ship to, to bring it into dock. And in, so in the case of of the, the Olympics collision, it was a, a, a Trinity house pilot in command. And the case of the, mm-hmm. the, Titanic's near collision on its departure. Again, it was not Smith, it was the pilot. So I I kind of feel that he kind of gets his unfair rap because of, uh, you know, some mistakes made by other people. But it is, of course, you have to take responsibility as Captain, Master, Master and Commander, you have to take responsibility for whatever your officers decide to do. Sure. Um, But maybe it wasn't him, his exact, you know, um, ineptitude. It was just Mm -hmm. someone else's.
0: Do you think a lot of that might have to do with the sort of lack of benefit of the doubt on the on the rewatch of his life sort of and that it's easy for everyone to sit here with, you know, our GPS and our, you know, our sonar cameras and think, well, I wouldn't have done X, Y and Z. But as you said, he was very much operating by the standards of his time in addition to that.
1: Well, absolutely. And I kind of think there's a a human desire for... um kind of finding a villain putting a face to, to a villain and, and and smith has become that um and it also if if it's not Smith, then it, then it's like some conspiracy theory where it was you know some insurance scam you know you try to put some kind of villainous slant on things to because we tend to try to find structure and chaos and right. i kind of you know I, I it's another one of my interests is debunking conspiracy theories about the titanic um but Smith has certainly been villainized uh, for the disaster and and, and also you, you know the, the cinematic portrayal of him often is like as soon as the, the ship hits the iceberg he becomes almost comatose you know he's just sort of staggering yes. around doing nothing when in actual fact in my research he was very active he was going around d- doing lots he was getting information he was doing research he was liaising with the wireless operators, with Thomas Andrews, with Boxall to get the distress position. It was like he was he was very busy. He he didn't have time to be standing around looking shocked. Um, <laughs> sure, but it, but again, it, you know, Cameron did that because it's 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 a you know it's a character portrayal, isn't it? It's a it's a it, it does fit what people expect, I guess. Right. But the reality is, I am th- sure he was in shock, but he, I think he was sure. a, he was too busy to be comatose. You know all
0: these. Excuse me. And all these minute by minute sort of retellings and all of the research, where where's the last concrete time we're able to verify where Smith was? Because at a certain point, he just seems to vanish or all the accounts afterwards are so and so saw him do this. But this other person saw him jumping into the water, but the other person saw him heading to the bridge. You know, there's all this conflicting testimony. But what is the last thing that we can verify he did that that night? during the sinking
1: Uh, well if we're talking about his death um what you described him jumping off the bridge is the last known uh reported eyewitness account of 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 him um that is really what happened there are some accounts that though that i I personally have found found them to be rather dubious um of him bringing a a baby or child to upturn life collapsible b um I kind of find that a little bit of a sort of a convenient story. It does sound quite mm-hmm. heroic, and there's some sort of wonderful paintings that portray this. Um, sure, but I, I I'm quite doubtful. I mean, it's it is, I guess it's possible, but I, the, the the accounts they're, they're just not credible enough in my book. But what we the most credible account we do have of his, of his end is him jumping off the bridge. He's shown in Cameron's film, of course, in the in the wheelhouse, um, yes, w- which yeah he was in that area. But I don't think he would have just been standing in the wheelhouse. I think um, there there is a report of him and, and and also possibly Thomas Andrews diving off at that point as as the bridge area went under. I mean, this this was their home. the the bridge area, yeah. the navigational bridge, is their home. It's there. It's it's where he he lives, slept, work. It's right. um, and so when when that went under, that was it. You know. That was the end for him, really. And, and so, to me, that isn't surprising. There are reports of a suicide, of him going into a library and drinking and shooting himself. But, again, these are all Ooh. sort of very tabloid um, accounts of what people think may have happened. Um, there were a lot, of, a lot of things negative about him, like he, that he was drinking. Well, yeah, he, he did drink a little at dinner because that wasn't unusual. He did drink a little bit. Um and he had to have dinner that was expected that was part of what he did as the captain <laughs> um he didn't to go to sleep a lot of people say that that um that he was asleep when the collision took place well actually he was he was on the bridge he was his his cabin is actually part of the bridge that's where he was and his last instructions were let me know if there's if, if there's anything doubtful so he was there ready to respond so i think those who say that he was asleep at the time of the of the collision I mean, it's possible he was asleep, but there's no way we'll know, and there's no evidence to say that. I, 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 I think he was probably in the chart room, calculating um, the, the projected course at that time. That's my personal that was- um, take on it. Uh, people who want him to be asleep are obviously looking for a negative you know, slant on his life because, you know, oh, yes, he was asleep when the collision took place. But, you know, let's just be reasonable. He didn't have to be asleep. It was 20 to midnight, you know. Was was he, did he go to bed that early? I don't know. Um, Even
0: if he did, I was just going to say, everyone has to sleep. It, so what if he was asleep? That was, if that was his allotted watch time to sleep, that's, then that's what he should have been doing during that time.
1: It's true. You can't
0: have a, well, you, you don't want someone who's running on zero hours of sleep. Helming anything, let alone a passenger vessel in ice.
1: Yeah, I, I guess it, what it does is it kind of exposes the sort of the mentality of those who say, "Oh, he was asleep," and that kind mm. of negative f- framing of of what he was doing. Um, That's true. And I, 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 yeah, it's more of an insight into their take on his life than, than anything else. But you're right. I mean, everyone needs to sleep. I mean, Lightoller was asleep. I mean, Fifth Officer Lowe famously said that when we sleep, we die. Because they they are on like four hour shifts, so they have like four hours on and then four hours sleep and then four hours on again. I mean, that's a pretty harsh that's existence on. So when when they did go to they had that four hours sleep, they really had to sleep. You know, they couldn't yeah. read a book. You know, it was like what well, get you sleeping. So you know, yeah, low time. <laughs> when we we sleep we die.
0: That makes sense, and yeah, I think. I don't know. I never saw him being as potentially asleep as negative personally, but I think again, you know, I, my grandfather's a surgeon and my dad's a professor. I'm, I've I've been around people who don't know how to balance a sleep schedule. They they even need to take naps once in a while. Just you, you can't be constantly going, especially you know when you're in charge of that many people, not just your crew, but then the passengers. That's it's a lot of responsibility to have on someone who's not allotted any sleep at all.
1: And you think about it, I mean, that is the job of a captain is to delegate, isn't it? So, yeah. he, and, and he had delegated what they call an officer of the watch. So his, the next officer in, in command was First Officer Murdoch, the most capable mm-hmm. officer, I believe, on the Titanic. So, he, you know, in, hi, in, his, you. in his mind, it's in safe hands. And he's what what he would do is he, he, they, they call it night orders. He would have left um, Murdoch with night orders, which were to you mm-hmm. know, maintain speed and course unless the conditions change then to right. notify him immediately and then that they, that would, you know, potentially would then change. So in all honesty, he's still, he's still master and commander, but he's delegated that to his officer of the watch.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't, there, at, at least in my personal understanding, there doesn't seem in my opinion to be enough evidence to say that anyone was willfully negligent or like cruelly negligent in this.
1: No, I don't believe. I mean, this is something that, that uh, where I stick my neck out again, I haven't got any death threats yet but you never know where I I don't believe that there is any negligence Um, it's it's so easy to take the tabloid headline they were sailing too fast they ignored ice warnings actually they didn't ignore ice warnings and they were not sailing too fast those two tabloid headlines are actually wrong because um, just on the ice warnings actually they had plotted the ice and they knew that they were going to reach it by 11 o'clock so if they had ignored the ice warnings well then how did they plot ice and know they're going to reach it by 11 o'clock they, they, they knew about the ice and they had made the decision based on the conditions that the ice would be um, viewable be able to be seen in time for them to alter course and that maintaining speed would ensure they were out of the danger zone sooner and that they would be more manoeuvrable um, and this was true. Common, common and even now you'll find that ships in clear visible conditions will maintain speed and the titanic was it was in clear visible conditions there was there was nothing impeding their vision um so the the protocol of the time was to maintain speed not and not put on extra lookouts because if if it's clear visible conditions the lookouts will will see it and this is the the kind of the irony of course is that you know that didn't happen and retrospectively if we say oh why didn't they slow down and you know it's, it's so easy to do that but the reality is actually based on what they knew at the time before 11:40 PM they were doing the right thing in their mind
0: I feel as though that that might be the crux of the point of this entire discussion is that as far as they were aware and via the standards of the time they were doing what they were supposed to be doing if not more
1: and and in all honesty you know if if, if you know, some kind of butterfly effect. They just avoided that iceberg. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> Titanic would be an unknown ship. It would have just, you know. So it's it's only because of what happened, you know, that hindsight of 2020 adage. It's, it's only because of what happened that we look back and go, oh, why didn't they do this? And that was terrible that they did that. When in actual fact, yeah. they were doing that all the time. And all right. the ships in the area were doing the same. A lot of people say, well, what about the California? You know, it stopped. Well, yes, it stopped because it saw ice. So did the <laughs> So did the Titanic. It stopped when it yeah. saw ice, but the outcome was different. Yeah, so, they just happened
0: to see the ice after they, or as they collided with it, really. If they'd seen it sooner, I'm sure that they probably would have really pumped the brakes. I don't think they would have seen it coming and gone, huh, that looks bad.
1: I mean, just quickly on that point, um, one of the things that, that Murdoch is often accused of unfairly is that he put the engines full of stern, which would then reduce the the turning power. And you'll see that in James Cameron's film where it's quite a dramatic moment where the engines are put into reverse and all that. Yes. And it's great, the music and everything. But actually that didn't happen. Uh, he did not put the engines full of stone because, yes, that would have – well, there's two reasons. It, mechanically it wouldn't have be been possible to do that in time. Sure. By the time that they started reversing, that it would have been too late, uh, and and secondly, it would have reduced their turning power. And Murdoch was a very capable officer; he would have known that he 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 was on the starboard wing bridge. He would have seen the iceberg. He would have judged the distances and gone right. We're going to go um, you know, harder starboard, which is actually hard to port, and then you know he's going to g- give it his best shot, which is what he did. Yeah. He didn't put it fullest turn. There's no evidence of of a fullest turn order. Uh, it's, it's thanks to 4th um, Officer Boxall who who, who came up with this Fuller Stern thing. Uh, and Light kind of repeated and others have repeated it afterwards. But in actual fact, there's no evidence of a Fuller Stern order at all. So another one of those things where Murdoch has been misrepresented.
0: And that's, you know, one of those things that, again, you, you kind of wish that everyone was privy to these facts and could form slightly more positive or neutral opinions, but... At the end of the day, you know, like, I'm lucky that I decided to look a little beyond the Cameron film, but for some people, you know, they have their one interaction with that film or whatever book or movie they're reading, and then they just move on, and that's the impression that they're formed with.
1: And, of course, you have to look at the Cameron film as a product of its time, 1997 or 96. True. The thing, is that the, the research wasn't there that the Fuller Stone Order was uh, you know, never given, and so Cameron made, the, made a call based on what he knew at the time. Uh, I think now he he wouldn't do that. But it's, it is still a very dramatic sequence. I love it, personally. It's a great um, sequence. So, you know, I, I'd kind of, in a, in a way, it would be a shame to see uh, the Fuller Stone Order not given because it's such a dramatic moment. But the reality is that it didn't happen.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it works in the film in the same way that having, you know, Cal, Cal and Hockley being a melodramatic villain bribing officers as a boat as a ship's going down and the boats are all leaving is also a dramatic choice but i think that they work in the same way that you were saying the score i love the score it works in that moment it makes it super dramatic just to hear everyone's silent and then screaming orders it just it just works and you know we have the benefit of knowing that that's not what actually happened but for a film i I, you're right it would be a shame to not have that in there it's a great
1: sequence as long as we don't use it to then you know, not knock, knock, because I, I, I get comments on the YouTube channels that I run and what have you. People saying, "Oh, he shouldn't have put it full of stern and I'm like, "Well, just like, you know, and I, I politely put, you know, just do the research because actually he didn't. Um, but because a lot of people want to find reason to." find fault you know and, right. and say well they anyway, should have done this they should have done that you know these keyboard warriors who have all the answers <laughs> you know and don't realize well if you're actually in their shoes it would be quite a different story you've got to think on your feet and 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 the decision he made the the harder starboard order he almost pulled off a miracle i mean researchers all agree on this that he almost pulled off an amazing maneuver it's just that there was possibly an ice shelf or something that that caused you know some kind of grounding to take place um you know and it, again you can it's going i don't like to use the term but unlucky you know that that he almost pulled it off um but he was just unlucky
0: yeah he was unlucky and you know he and lightoller both worked really hard to save a lot of lives as the sinking went down and you know again what's unfortunate we lost his many people as we did and as many of their stories as we did but i'm really glad for people especially like you who are really bringing these stories out to life because i i'll admit i hadn't thought too much about it but i'm i'm glad to be learning about these men and their stories and their histories
1: and there's so much more to learn i mean every day i'm discovering new things um I run a, a Facebook group, actually, for the for the Titanic officers. It's just hit 3,000 today, actually, I, I noted. Ooh, I'm going to go um, to But anyway, on that, you, there's always other researchers, not just myself, are posting stuff that they've discovered, new pictures of different officers of Captain Smith just recently, some pictures that we have never seen before of him. Mm. Um, there's always something new to, to, to discover and learn, and... Um, and I think also to keep open-minded about it. Like we co- we often come with all this baggage, all these kind of like negative ideas about this and that, perhaps based on films or or just based on our own take on things. But if we sure. keep an open mind, there's a lot to learn. And, and the story is far more interesting. It's not maybe as dramatic. There wasn't some big insurance scam switch or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, and the Titanic, you know, if you look at it, actually it was quite a mundane sailing. You know, there was nothing really special about it except for what happened. Um, but right. when, so when you look at it that way, um, but actually to me that it becomes far more interesting. The fact that it was a mundane sailing and that, that it was just kind of everything was going by the book and then suddenly it all goes wrong. Um, is to me actually more of an interesting story than a huge insurance scam.
0: I agree. And i've I've officially now kept you for a long time. And I happen to know if I don't cut these off, I will talk for hours. And I would like you to go to bed at some point in time because we were just talking about sleep.
1: Oh, I I happily go without, I think I can, yeah, four hours is enough for me.
0: (laughs) All right, we'll go take your, take your watch. But, um, and thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I I really can't overstate how amazing it was to talk to you. I learned a lot. It dissuaded a lot of notions I had. I hope that I'm now more open-minded when I approach these things.
1: Sounds good. well. I hope it was useful. I, I'm, I probably waffled too much, but uh, you I don't know.
0: Absolutely did not.
1: I'm kind. Of, I'm kind of half asleep, sort of sleepwalking <laughs> or sleep talking. So hopefully it was sort of intelligible.
0: <laughs> it was fine. And I probably I made some gonna... terrible
1: errors in there that I'll I'll be um, you know, <laughs> brought to <laughs> brought to um, what's the word, you know.
0: Oh my gosh, guys! Dan was. It just it was an amazing conversation, and I'm so grateful that he came on the show. Um, if you want to get in touch with him, please, please, please do. Um, he has a few different websites. You can go to the one we talked about in this uh, in this episode, WilliamMurdoch.net, um, which talks about First Officer William Murdoch. Um, he also has titanicofficers.com about officers of the Titanic as well as Carpathian and Californian and titanicswitch.com and that completely debunks the f- super stupid Titanic switch theory. You can also find him on the Facebook group which is facebook.com slash group slash titanicofficers all one word which is the official group on the officers. He's also on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash user slash murdoch.com Net that's spelled out William Murdoch, D O T N E T, Titanic Officers, youtube.com, slash Titanic's Officers, T I T A N I C S O F F I C E R S. You can find him um on his Switch channel as well. And other than that, please get in touch with him however you see fit. And I hope to see you guys in the next one. And like I said before, if I find out that anyone who's listening to the show has sent anything unkind, Dan's way or the way of anyone else who has been on my show, I will be fucking furious. Okay? That's just not what this thing is for. That's not what the show is for. And then it's not what the community I'm trying to foster is for. If you want to go argue with people, there are plenty of places on the internet to do that. With the people of my show and context of my show is absolutely not the place. If you want to argue with me, go ahead. But leave the guests and listeners alone. That's not what they're here for. And honestly, I hope that's not what you're here for either. But either way, I want to thank Dan again for coming on. It was an amazing conversation. I hope to talk to him again in the future. And I will see you guys in the next one. Bye-bye. Titanic Talk Line was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline. T I T A N I C T A L K L I N E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at Titanic Talkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's Titanic Talkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye.